Good morning. In Luke chapter 2, we read, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth in Judea, into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the, of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed, with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. This passage was written by Luke. Luke is not a Jewish writer. He's the only Gentile to write anything in the New Testament. He comes from a Greek background. So when he marks events, he talks about the years when certain Caesars or other rulers are in power. And he mentions events like the taxation that marked time and influenced the story of world history. And here in this passage about Jesus in particular, the world is moving along. People are moving around. There's increased movement because of the census and the tax. And in this great movement and upsetting of routines, God is making his greatest move yet. How do you view prophecy in the Old Testament? There are many prophecies about Jesus which are fulfilled in his lifetime. Things like growing up in Galilee, yet being from the line of David, and then being born in Bethlehem to a young virgin. How did, how, how did these prophecies work out? Did God look into the future and see the circumstances in which Jesus would be born? Or did he cause all those circumstances? Who moved more, heaven or earth? It's an interesting question for theologians to ponder and argue, but Mary and Joseph, who are living it out, cared little about that. They probably often felt helpless. They certainly had faith that God was moving from the heavens, but earth was always moving too. It rotates on its axis, though they didn't realize that. It revolves around the sun, but again, they didn't know that. It quakes sometimes, and that they knew. The way they felt it most of all was in the shaking of the ground when the armies passed by. The Roman oppressors were everywhere. They took money. They took people. They took what they wanted, and you were at their mercy. The lowest of all soldiers was more powerful than Mary or Joseph. The most powerful one of all was Caesar, far and away in a place called Rome. We've seen pictures of it. Mary and Joseph only heard stories. Rome was the largest city in the world, filled with people, filled with slaves, with temples to foreign gods, with so many people who didn't know or acknowledge the one God. With all their evil, why would the God of heaven and earth, the one who makes nations rise and fall, allow these people to rule the world? God is mysterious. Many times in the past, He'd let other pagans rule over Israel, over Canaan, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medea, Persia, the Greeks, and now most recently the Romans are ruling God's people. These all brought their armies and their influence, which was always contrary to God's influence. So why would he let them take over? Why would he give them so much influence in the world? Well, for us, in hindsight, we can think of a few reasons. You see, for all the Greeks and Romans did wrong, they did a few things right. 
There's a very, very funny YouTube clip that I shared on Facebook recently from a very vile movie. Don't watch the movie, just watch the YouTube clip. And in the, in the clip, some Jewish rebels, it's a comedy, by the way, some Jewish rebels were plotting to overthrow the Romans. And in the planning, the leader made the mistake of asking the rhetorical question, what have the Romans ever done for us? Well, one of his mercenaries piped up in the awkward pause that followed and said, the aqueduct. What? They gave us the aqueduct. And the whole room had to concede that it was true. The Romans had given the world the technology to have a fresh water source from miles away. Then other men started listing many other things the Romans had given them. Things like irrigation, basic sanitation, modern, at the time, medicine, law and order, and the road system, and so on and so forth. And by the end of the conversation... It almost seemed like everyone agreed that they should be grateful the Romans were in charge. Well, the people who were violently killed by them wouldn't agree with that, but it's true, the Romans did contribute a lot to the world. But who cares about that anyway if God's truth is stifled by their paganism? But the thing is, God's truth wasn't stifled by their paganism. I finished a book recently that took me about a year to read called Evangelism in the Early Church. In it, the author points out that zeal toward the Greek and Roman religions was really starting to wane in the first century. The cult of emperor worship was thriving, but only by force. Mostly, people were leaving the state religions of Greece and Rome in favor of small family religion. The Greek and Roman systems of worship had become just huge, immoral parties. There was no logic in it, and there was no morality in it. That's why in the New Testament, occasionally you run into Greeks or Romans, a Greek or a Roman person who has funded and attends a synagogue. Worship of one God? Well, that sounds logical to them. This one God demands morality and clean living? Well, that sounds good too. This one God offers hope for the future? He never changes? How wonderful! I have to be circumcised? Okay, that's a bit much, but the rest of it I like. You see, most theologians or Christian historians would agree that God, in his wisdom, let the Greeks and Romans take over because they'd set up a common culture and language and a system of roads and other benefits that would eventually facilitate the gospel's spread. Their paganism didn't take over. Their paganism died out eventually. But God's truth, God's law, and God's good news eventually did overthrow the Romans until Rome became the capital of Christianity. So who moved history forward, heaven or earth, God or people? Obviously God. But that's a little comfort to Mary and Joseph, tossed around and turned around by the winds and waves of this cosmic battle. They don't know it, they don't feel it, but in the midst of those winds and waves, they're in the lifeboat of God's will and God's plan, and they've never been safer. You see, God gave them a mission to carry and raise the Christ child. They were honored. They felt unworthy. And both of those are true. They also both probably felt like it wasn't a good time in their life to spring such a thing on them. Why now? Why us? How am I going to explain this? How am I going to adjust to this? How am I going to fulfill this mission in such turbulent times? You have probably felt the same. Family life, school life, work life are all full and busy. And then you meet the Lord Jesus Christ and he takes over your life. 
You surrender to His Lordship. You accept His forgiveness and transformation. But then it disrupts everything. What you thought would bring peace brought chaos instead. Then God gives you a clear picture of what to pray for, what to repent of, what ministry to get involved in. And you think, it's just not a convenient time for that. Friends, it's never going to be convenient. Just like war disrupts a nation and families, God's call on your life will come as a huge inconvenience, and you'll have to make choices. You'll have to tell people that your life is changing course, and that they will, and then they will want you to justify it. Will you put God and His mission for you on the back burner or throw off every restraint in order to pursue what He's got for you? For Mary and Joseph, God made that choice a little easier. Mary was pregnant, and you don't put that on the back burner. She would start showing soon and force the conversation in front of people. Carrying the Christ child was not easy, not convenient, and threatened to cost her a marriage and maybe her life. There was a lot to be scared about. But perfect love from God and for God will always reduce your fear. Mary and Joseph could rest in the provision of God because they knew more than most people do that God had chosen them for a mission. God has chosen you for a mission too. It's not as serious as theirs, but it's a critical part of the kingdom of God and you should see it that way. Rest in the perfect love of God as you carry it out. God's provision will carry you through to whatever end His mission is for you. And remember that God moves in the chaos. The Romans were in charge and shaking things up. Caesar needed more money, so people had to start traveling all over Israel and indeed, indeed in the Western world. But when earth moves with all the energy it can to muster for evil, you can be assured that God is in the background doing simple things with no effort by the gentle use of his omnipotent hand, and he's making things work out elegantly for his benefit and for the benefit of his kingdom. Think of it. The Greeks spent centuries, armies, scholars, and lots of marble to beat their culture and language into every educated person in the Western world. Then God redeemed it and had the New Testament apostles write the words of Christ in a language that everybody already understood. And the New Testament eventually submitted all of Greek thought and culture to Judeo-Christian theology. And think of the slavery, resources, and effort of mapping it out that it took to create the Roman roads which man used for evil. The Romans built those roads so that they could move their very lethal army faster than any military force that size had ever done in history so they could overthrow existing kingdoms and oppress people. In just four centuries... They controlled everything from Egypt to Turkey to Spain. By contrast, in just one-third of that time, God used very small, poor Christian missionaries to undermine the whole Roman Empire and, more importantly, to deliver people from the tyranny of sin. The world, even the pagan world, innovates and glorifies God. Even their most evil technology then gets redeemed to work for God's good plan and purpose. I don't know the actual numbers, but I think nuclear technology's first achievement, which was a bomb that could instantly kill nearly everyone in a whole city, but when redeemed by God and used for good, it saved more lives than it's ever taken in the form of cancer treatment. 
The internet has been used for spreading all kinds of hate, lies, and pornography, but people have also been able to engage Muslims with the gospel all over the world through websites, blogs, and chat rooms. The kingdoms of mankind innovate for evil all the time. Great historical movers and shakers change the landscape of society, but rest assured, God's hand is all over history, moving, redirecting, starting, stopping, building, and destroying. Mary and Joseph can take comfort in God's power and might that God, who began this good work, would see it through to the end. You also can take comfort in God's plan, which will preserve you until you have completed the mission He has for you. God has called you to follow Him. Follow Him closely. He has given you ministry and purpose. Grab onto it and throw off everything that hinders. In the midst of your chaotic life, know that God is working to make that mission victorious. Jesus was born into chaos. He helped us make sense of what God is doing in the world. He showed amazing trust in his Father while his life was being threatened. He fulfilled even the most difficult part of his mission with confidence. Christmas is about peace in the midst of chaos. It's about joy in the midst of despair. It's about love in the midst of all the struggle. It's about hope in the midst of upheaval. It's about Jesus, who made all those things possible and available for us. Pause from the chaos. Pause from the pain. Pause from your despair and grasp onto the hope, joy, peace, and love that are found in Jesus Christ. Come follow Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the baby in the manger, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Messiah we've been waiting for who comes at the perfect moment in the fullness of time. God rest ye, merry ladies and gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. And Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are often a fearful people in a chaotic world, and we ask, Lord, that you give us the confidence to believe always that you are working amidst the chaos. I pray that you will give us confidence in your mission and your plan enough to help us embrace it, throw off everything that hinders, and get moving for you and with you. Give us peace in the chaos, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.